In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll, and on this podcast, you will hear real stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. Welcome. We've got another narrative story to be able to talk about. We are here today with uh, Coach Keeg. Uh, I'm going to probably call you Keegan the whole time, but man, thank you so much for for stepping in. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being willing to actually share some of your story with us. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate your time here today, Tim. Yeah, well, it's it's my gratitude to you. So I, I love that. I love. Let's go ahead and jump in and get started. I mean, we've. It's interesting because I'm actually excited about this. We talked briefly on. A, I call it a coffee networking call, but it was virtual and we met that way. And you shared a few pieces of some of the stuff that you've gone through and how chasing some of the success and all these. I don't know where the direction is yet that we're going to go, but let's get started with. All right, we meet in an elevator. You got mm-hmm. thirty seconds. Who is Keegan? Who is who's this guy that we're talking with? Absolutely. So I find that my energy best spent to help define who I am is the way that I focus on all the different categories within life that define me as a man. In other words, if I can show up as my best in my priorities, then I can serve my mission, you know, and by being my best, I allow people, I give them permission to be their best as well. And that's really the name of the game. You know, so what I what I focus my energy on is being my best version, because I know what it's like to grow up without having a healthy male role model, without really knowing where to turn. So if I can give that back to the world, that's what I do. I spend every single day making myself the best that I can be, then finding ways to make other men their best versions. Man, I I love that, too, because it also ties into a lot of what I know about you with your identity and who and what and all of the different things that you've created and and, and are creating. And I'm again, I'm excited to hear a lot more about this. So let's dive into this whole concept. And again, we we talk about the false narratives that we grew up in. And and sometimes it's an example uh, that somebody gave us. Sometimes it's a word. Sometimes it's a traumatic event. Sometimes it's like there's all these different things that tell us who and what and how to be and live as an adult. So where did you start? What is your belief as far as before you stepped into becoming who you are today? Tim, I think this is such a beautiful question from a psychological standpoint. Typically what happens in our adolescence, male and female, is that you will go through experiences in life. And from these experiences, we will make three conclusions. We will make a conclusion about ourselves We'll make a conclusion about others or a group at large, and then we will make a conclusion about life at large. So when I think about this and the derivative of your question, I really think back to the experiences that have led to my conclusions and ultimately that larger conclusion of life itself is that they, they weren't positive ones, you know, is that uh, life is tough. You are by yourself, right? You It's an uphill battle. It's very difficult. You know, those were some of the conclusions. And there were a lot of experiences throughout that childhood that led to my belief system there, the environments, the people I was around. You know, I mean, it got to a point where uh, by the age of five, there was so much trauma that I developed a speech impediment. I couldn't even say my own name. And so, Mm -hmm. 
you know, the, the worldview, if you will, was that of a very dark place, you know, very difficult to thrive, to get ahead, very isolated, cold and independent. And that was really the, the, the way that I viewed the world. So what what started that though? Where did that come from? And and whatever you're willing to share, obviously what you're comfortable with. What gave you that? Like I love the way you just framed that. With you come to three conclusions, you know, it, within yourself, and then that you just kind of expanded outside of that. It's almost like a ripple effect that that happens there uh, with that with those conclusions. And I love that mental concept. But when you're looking at that. As a child, I know so many people that we talk to in their stories, you don't know how else to to frame it other than to draw those conclusions. So what were those conclusions? Uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about how the framing of that and understanding and breaking some of those conclusions. But what was that like? Maybe just list out the bullet points of what your beliefs were or what your, you know, summarize, wherever you want to go with it. I'll give you the freedom to go. Yeah, yeah. Great question. So I think that the experiences, I'll focus on that particular point. There were a lot of experiences of trauma. I mean, you see this little scar on my head right here. I got hit in the face with a hammer as a two-year-old boy. You know, it was just everywhere I turned, father abandoned me, you know, and then I'm, uh, my parents abandoned me. And then I was in grown being raised by my grandparents and they had a very different mentality. You're talking about people that grew up in, in the great depression, right? Very industrial revolution, work hard mentality. It's this way or that way. And that was where... Uh, I first started to build the foundation, you know, and then when I was with my mom, it was just constant abuse. It was seeing her being beaten. It was me being beaten. I mean, I was always seeking for some form of love and attention because everywhere I turned, I was an outcast. I was kicked out of three elementary schools. In each of those elementary schools, I was isolated to my own cubicle on a different side of the room. I had the speech impediment. So when I got on the bus, you know, the bus driver would make fun of me. All the children would make fun of me. And so I felt that no matter where I turned, I didn't fit in. I was different than everybody else, right? It was no matter what I did or where I went, I didn't fit in. I felt very isolated. I felt dumb downright, you know, because that was reinforced. And so when I think about some of those experiences, and there's a lot of very, very dark ones in there. It got to the point where, you know, I would have such horrific night terrors as a child by the age of 12, I stopped dreaming altogether, you know? So there were just all of these experiences that added up to those conclusions. And one, I didn't think I was worthy, lovable, intelligent, capable, any of those things. You know, I saw, I saw the world as this dark place. I saw people as very self-centered individuals that weren't going to help. You know, it was like, you got to figure this out because people are just going to give you heartache and hardship. How did that impact? Yeah. How did that impact the ideas and the thoughts and the way that you were going to live your life? Because it sounds like you had to grow up very quickly. Like you didn't really have that much of a childhood. You had to grow into being mature enough. Uh, I, I, I use that word loosely, but you had to mature very quickly on how to deal with stress and trauma and you didn't have the ability to really enjoy the childhood. So how did that, how is all of that impacting you as a young man? To be honest with you, Tim, I never thought I was going to see 20 years old. I really didn't. I never thought I was going to live to 20. I saw the world that I was in and I said, you know what? There's, there's light and there's dark, but all I really ever see is dark, you know? And so to have that type of lens in the way that you view the world 
it actually helped me in a lot of different ways because what it allowed me to do was when I started to separate, I know we're going to get into that in a little bit, but when I did start to separate away from those viewpoints, you know, the world was very different for me because I didn't really care what anybody thought about me. I didn't care what anybody said about me because I had already heard it. I already been kicked in the face, pushed down a flight of stairs, hit with a hammer, run over with a car, you know, told I was, I was worthless and unloved, you know? So when you're in an environment of those things, you really have a choice. You can either accept it or you can reject it. And to your point, I was forced into maturity at a young age, you know, and, and that gave me the ability to reject certain ideologies, to reject people's criticism or thoughts on me. And that was a very powerful tool in that darkness. Mm. Yeah, and I, I love that. Actually, that's a really powerful concept to be able to say, I don't care what other people think. So therefore, I have the ability to write my own story. I have the ability to draft my journey. We could probably go down this rabbit hole quite a bit because there's so much depth just in that one concept of, of how society and the peer pressure and how much that actually places and influences what we do and how we act and or on the other side of when we don't act right so there's there's two sides on things on that but huh, maybe we just have to do another episode just on that one point because that, that, <laughs> yeah I, I look at this and I, I I see a lot of strength in the direction of where you're going but yet at the same time that strength rose out of adversity rose out of the challenges that you did have to overcome. Can you talk about a little bit in the mental space of, you said we have a choice. We can choose one way or the other. Can you go through that that process in your mind of, did you literally think and say, okay, I'm going to choose this over this? Yeah. There was a cataclysmic event when I was 12 years old. When I was five, I was placed on Ritalin. Had to take two, three pills every single day. And at this point in time, it was predominantly methadone. Right? Like you were basically taking meth, okay, as a child. Very, very terrible for the brain, the organs, everything. I took this for many years. And through that time, I couldn't control the chaos in my head. But when I turned 12 years old, I'll never forget this day. I was in middle school and I said, you know what? This choice is mine. I don't want to take this medicine anymore. Why would I take this medication? And so I thought about all the potential outcomes. I said, okay. Well, I continue to take it. I feel the way that I'm feeling now. And I don't really like that outcome. I can show some resistance and say, I'm not going to take this anymore. And either I can be forced to take it or, you know, there's nothing they can really do to me. And I said, okay, when I weigh these potential outcomes and I realize that it is my choice, I'm just going to act and see what happens, you know, because if, if nothing changes and I come back to this original point, then I haven't really lost anything. But if I do make this decision and I go for it and it's right, this could change my entire world. And I'll never forget that day to I walked into the nurse's office, 12 year old boy. And I said, listen, you're not going to see me tomorrow. She said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm not going to take this pill anymore. I'll still come and visit you. Don't worry, but I'm not going to take this pill anymore. And that was my choice, right? And so, yeah, there was backlash at home. There was a little bit of pushback. But to be honest with you, that was the fundamental change that I needed. After that point in time, I started getting straight A's in school. I, I went to the top of my class like a couple weeks later from literally being at the bottom of the barrel 
to, to, you know, this disruptive kid to one of the top performers. And it just came back to that small decision. And I think often when we think about ourselves as adults, the average adult has 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. And sometimes it becomes very overwhelming because we all have negative thoughts. I mean, from a quantum physics realm, 95% of the world is dark matter. 5% is light, but there's still light. So if you can find ways to focus on that light, that's going to help pull you through. It's not to say that I'm always positive. I'm always optimistic because if you are in that state, you can't face the reality sometimes. And that can be more detrimental. Right. But this ability to start with a choice and look at the potential outcomes and just simply say to yourself, can I just win one more decision today? Yeah. Yeah. I have negative thoughts. Yeah. The dark is there. I get it. But can I just win one thought today? And that gives you the confidence to win another one tomorrow. And then you get to a point where you're creating these links in a chain of days that you have won and you build this beautiful chain. And you get to the end of the year and, and that's something to be proud about. And that gives you hope. And that hope is going to allow you to aspire to greater heights. Oh, I love so it. it all comes down to that first choice. Yeah. So there's, there's two things that came up in all of that. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff there, but there's two things that came up specifically. And we'll, we'll touch, I think we need to touch on both of them. First of all, is I love what you said. If you're always positive, you're not facing reality. I have heard that so often where it's, well, you just need to be, have a positive outlook. You just need to focus on the good. Or I think there's even a whole concept of, and I apologize because I'm going to throw out the secret aspect of it, where if you yeah. just focus on good, you like, well, what happened about the reality aspect of it? So that's one part of it. The second thing though, that I, that I want you to kind of dive in a little bit is you mentioned earlier that you're constantly seeing the experiences and all the social and everything else. And, it, and you draw conclusions from that. And now you're saying you made a choice to stop taking that pill. What conclusions did you draw from that? And how did you, how did that, obviously you're saying about, you know, one decision can start to build a chain. So what conclusions, how do you, how do you walk us through that, that mind process, that, that mental process of, and get to that conclusion? I'm going to go a little bit of a different route to answer your question, Tim, if that's acceptable. I love it. Go, go, let's go. <laughs> so in, in my research and experience, and I, I, I want to be very clear, I've devoted my life to this because I'm so passionate about this space. In my research in the last 100 years, six generations roughly, right? Our country has changed very much. When you look back to the original of the founding fathers, these were households where men and women were equal. They were in the household. They were equal, but they did have different roles, right? And so it typically started on a farm. The little boy, if they had children, the little boy would wake up with dad and see how to be a man. And the little girl would wake up with the mother and see how to be a woman. Yet they came together. They solved problems independently. They grew and their identity was sound. And then the industrial revolution came along and said, hey, we're going to promise you a better life. You can make more money. You don't have to worry about famine, starving. You don't have to worry about bad weather. You don't have to worry about bad crops. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You just have to sacrifice your living space and some of your time, and we'll promise this life for you. And so that's what happened. These families moved into the cities, and the father would leave most of the day and would come home at the end of the day for roughly one to two hours. So what happened in this scenario was the mother was raising the children. 
And then this ideology was further emphasized when war came around. We had World War One, Two, the Korean War, Cold War. I mean, you name it, there were a bunch of wars. And what happened was it further emphasized that identity of the male. It said, no, not only are we taking the male out of the household, we're taking them out of the country. And so then women stepped into the workplace a lot more and they got rights that they deserved. However, there was this fundamental split on what that meant because as a man, you cannot go across seas and take another man's life if emotion is involved. So what happened? They went from the father and the mother working together as a unit, raising their children to now the father is removed from the house and is just a cog in a wheel that brings home the bacon. And then when they were put into war, they were suppressed, suppressed, suppressed your emotions because you cannot kill somebody when you're emotional. And this created this identity of a one dimensional man. How much money do you make? And, and this ties all back to your question. And the reason this ties all back is because what I have found in that further depth of research is the simple truth is that we've been playing a game that we've been told by society that this is the way you do it. Yet six generations ago, that's not how we operated. And this affects absolutely everybody. You look at the depression rate in the United States right now, 18 to 24 year old women have the highest depression that we've ever seen in the history. Male suicide rate is higher than it's ever been in human history. So that for me is an indication that we are playing the wrong game now. And I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not saying this is anybody's fault. I'm not pointing fingers. But what I am telling you and the viewer and the people listening to this is that you have the choice to live a different way, right? You know, I'll use a totally separate analogy. If you were to put a flea into a jar, a flea has a 36-inch vertical. But let's say the jar was only 24 inches and you put the lid on and you capped it. And that same flea had a whole bunch of little baby fleas, right? Those little baby fleas were born into that environment. And they could only jump 24 inches because that's the cap of the ceiling. Well, guess what? When they took the lid off and let the fleas go out into the world, the fleas only had a 24-inch vertical, even though biologically they could jump 36 inches. She's higher than most humans, by the way. That's pretty incredible. So when you think about all of this, to come back to your original question here, what was really the thing that gave you the power over that choice? How can you not just look at optimism all the time, but actually face the truth? The truth is there is work to be done. And it's that simple. You know, how do we change the world? Tim, we change the world with you. We change the world with me. We change the world with ourselves. We make ourselves a better person. And that comes back to one choice at a time. And that is your God-given right. You have that ability to live in your own image. You know, so you need to define what your values are, your goals are, your aspirations and passions. And when you're very clear on those things and who you want to become, it's a lot easier to make the right choice. But people need to realize We've been playing the wrong game for the last 100 years. And that comes back to the virtues. Look at the virtue of this country. Most virtues are rooted in money. And we're seeing how that's affecting the world. So I hope that, I hope that helped answer the question. Dude, you just hit on the core, the elemental core of what narrative is all about. 
in the fact that we have been told stories and a narrative that we have to live our entire lives and it's not based in a realistic sense. And so often, I don't, I mean, we can go through multiple different topics of whether it's education, politics, religion, I don't care what it is because I've heard it all. But when it comes down to it, what you just stated is the elemental fundal found the foundation of whose narrative are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to live somebody else's or are you going to choose to live your own narrative that you build, that you create? And again, it does. You're absolutely right. It comes down to these choices. How do we create those choices? So I, I guess, and I want to save some of this time. Actually, I'm getting goosebumps because I love this so much. It's just like, I've got like, <laughs> I absolutely love this. Um, and let's save this time here because I think, based on what I know about you, it, it, with people that are listening, they said, "Yeah, that's right. We're not living that. We're not living the way we're supposed to. We're not. We're, we're following somebody else's narrative." But a lot of times, the question comes up: "Is I don't know how to break it. I don't know how to make that one choice." And and we talked just briefly about this. I think it was we were off air, but we talked about how when I talk to men, many men and even some women, they feel like they're sitting in a dark room no exits, no lights, and they don't they don't even know how to be able to make that first choice. They don't even know how to turn in that first direction. So if it's okay, can we transition into how do we make that first choice? How do we stand up for ourselves? How do we build those values? How, do, how did you do it? And then maybe somebody can learn from how you did those things. Absolutely, Tim. I think there are a couple points to answer this question. First and foremost, Every single human has core values. We all do. That's part of our identity. However, the average person, scientifically, this is not my data, scientifically, the average individual develops their core values by the age of 12, and they are fully confirmed by the age of 18. So what that tells us is that typically, you're pulling some from your environment. You know, you pull a little from mom, pull a little from dad, if, if that's your scenario, you pull a little bit from your, your pastor or your bus driver, whoever's around you, right? The difficulty here is typically we will honor those values throughout our entire life. And I, I put it to you like this. It's like a board meeting. Let's say you're the CEO of your business and you're sitting around the boardroom and, and all these people are there. And what you say is, these people are your core values. What you say is, hey, thank you all so much for getting me to this point. I, I wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for you guys. But I want to take a different direction now. And so to help answer this question for people, I believe that one of the best starting points is to become very clear on your core values. You know, who, who are you as a person? A core value is essentially your decision-making rubric. You know, and literally when we get to the end of our days, what, what other way is there than to live virtuously by who you define yourself as? You know, because it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks or says or feels or does towards you, you go to sleep with yourself every night and you wake up with yourself every morning and you go to sleep with those thoughts and wake up with those thoughts. So you have to be the judge of your character. Mm. You know, so that's one point is understanding your core values. Number two, once you know your decision-making tools, you got to know where you're headed. Where's the direction I'm headed? I'll share. This is one of my favorite quotes, Tim. Arnold Schwarzenegger. You can have the best boat, the best crew, and the best captain in the entire ocean. But if you do not have an end destination, you are just going to float around aimlessly. And I believe the same is true with life. So if you don't know what rules you operate by as an individual, 
You don't know where you're headed. Well, how the hell could you possibly make the right choice on a day-to-day basis? It's, it's nearly impossible because what happens? You get started and then you stop, you know? And, and to get into the neural component of this, there's dopamine and there's serotonin. And typically what happens, and we can consider dopamine as short-term and, and serotonin as long-term, and typically people will focus on the short-term wins. Why? Because that's what our society has conditioned us for. If you disagree with this, when is the last time that you ordered something on Amazon and you got upset if it wasn't there in two days, three days, four days, right? You know, the point is, is we all expect immediacy because we have everything at our fingertips with technology. And there is a lot of good with that, but that creates information overload. And that's why so many people don't know how to act. It's just like a sport though. You have to get back to the fundamentals before you can be great at the game. And so those fundamentals are, what are your goals? Who are you becoming? Where are you starting now? And where are you headed? And how do I make decisions along that road? So I'll stop there. But I think that those are some really key points to get started. And, and that doesn't really take a ton uh, to do. Yeah, no, I, I I love snippets when we have something that is just very specific and here's step one, step two, step three. My brain works that way. And the whole idea of the serotonin versus the dopamine, I mean, again, that's a, that's a very, very interesting topic to be able to, to jump in and go down. And maybe we can transition to some of these things. How are you currently living your life and what is the narrative that you are crafting for your own life at this point in time? What are your goals? What are the things that you want to be able to accomplish? And how do you want to get into it? And if you have something else in a different direction, by all means, Keegan, feel free to go in that direction if you feel like there's something important. But I'm really curious on just diving in and figuring out what makes you tick and how are you crafting your narrative now? Absolutely, Tim. So I think that, you know, everybody that's listening to this right now, I would always recommend that you focus on your night and your morning routine. If you just start with your morning routine, for example, you can get massive changes in a very short period of time. I bring that up because everybody's specific goals are going to be unique and different. Your goals are not my goals. My goals are not, you know, John's goals. Everybody's is a little bit different. And so for me to be able to serve my mission, I need to know what's important to me and what that looks like. What is my ideal relationship at its, at its best? What does my health look like on a daily basis? How about my living environment? Personal development. And these things play into your morning and night routine. So to be honest with you, the thing that drives me, the big mission, is to change the world one man at a time. And guess who has control over that? Me. I control me. And again, if I can, if I can make myself better, you know, that I can impact everybody around me through the ripple effect. And so the big mission is simply to change myself in this journey and give other people permission to do the same thing. Because listen, if I got into all the depths of the childhood, you know, it makes some people cry. And all the time people go, man, I'm so sorry. And I go, why? <laughs> why, why would you be sorry for that? I'm grateful that that happened because if it hadn't, I wouldn't be able to evolve into the person that I am today. And I hear this all the time. We talked about the light and the dark. What breaks my heart, Tim, is that there are so many individuals out there, male, female, doesn't matter, male, female, that feed the dark all the time. And you just cannot win that game, right? You can't always say, woe was me. So 
you got to know yourself. You have to focus on yourself. It's like this oxygen mask theory. If, if you work on yourself every day, if you fill your cup up, then that gives you the ability to fill other people's cups. And sometimes it's like people, they, they attempt to go out into the, like, let's say you and I were stranded on an island right now. You know, we couldn't just rush out into the ocean if we were looking for salvation. We would start by building our boat. That's what I'm talking about here. You've got to build your boat before you can save yourself. And you and I know that we can't save anybody else if we can't save ourselves. So that's it. My mission is what pulls me. My morning routine, my night routine, I pour so much energy into those things before the world needs me, before my family needs me, before my business needs me, because that's my responsibility to serve this mission. How can I show up as my best and help other people if I'm not doing the things that I need to do? But you got to know yourself first. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, can I swing back on a, on a thing? You just briefly, briefly mentioned this, but I, I think it's a powerful, powerful topic. You just said that you're grateful for all of the trauma that would make somebody cry if you tell them all of their stories and they always say, I'm so sorry. And you just said something about the fact that, no, 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 no. I'm grateful for that because it's made me who I am. Somebody that's going through something at this exact moment, and I know I've talked to them, it is impossible for them to feel gratitude for a traumatic event or for abuse or for something that's going on. It's impossible. Well, this is my opinion. I feel like it's impossible for them to feel that gratitude in that moment. But yet afterwards, just like what you said, to be able to say, I'm grateful for that. How do you get to that point? It's a great question. You know, I find that pain is the foundation of greatness. And you can either put yourself through the pain or you can allow somebody else to do it for you. How we become great is to put ourselves in controlled environments and test it. That's the essence of life, is it not? You are preparing for kindergarten when you're in pre-K. In kindergarten, you're preparing for the first grade. These are controlled environments of preparation. What's the essence of school? It's preparing you for the real world. Now, again, based on our previous conversation, this has been strategically designed more around the industrial revolution to create workers. But how do you find gratitude in these moments? Here's what I'll tell you. Tim, I've been homeless three times, you know, and in those moments, I feel the most gratitude than ever before. Because when you're tied to material things, you're not authentically being yourself. You know, material items don't define you. It's like, you're almost imprisoned to all these things, you know, but if you, if you are able to show up as a virtuous man or woman, what better life is there? And so if you are in the depth of adversity right now, that is your greatest opportunity. There's three questions that I would advise people to ask in this scenario. Number one, what is the lesson? What can I learn from this? How can I be better tomorrow because of this right now? Number two, what is the opportunity here? And this is a very different question. You may be able to find opportunity in the worst of moments. Oh, okay. Maybe I didn't hold strong enough communication and that's why I'm in this position. Maybe I didn't focus on my night or, or morning routine. That's an opportunity to get a little bit better there so I can avoid this tomorrow. You know, the third and final question is, 
How can I use this to impact other people? And that's really the testament. If you can go through pain and find your opportunity in that pain, you will win. Because here's the truth. There really is no such thing as good and bad. We just are. There just is. We are in the moment. Good and bad are human constructs which are derived from emotion, right? But the logical approach is natural law. Nature is always in the present moment. It doesn't care about your feelings. Nature doesn't care if you love the little bunny rabbit. The fox is still going to eat it to sustain the ecosystem, right? So the problem is, is that we live in both domains, natural law and human law, logic and emotion. So it's not about suppressing these things. It's about mastering them. And the only way you can master your adversity in the moment is to face it head on. Stop avoiding the pain because like I said before, either you will put yourself into the pain in a controlled environment or somebody else will. Let me give you a direct example and I'll stop with this. Why do we go to the gym and do exercise? Well, I know that if I do the exercise and I eat healthy and I drink the right amount of water and I get the right amount of sleep, then I will live longer. My organs are happy. I am more confident. I feel better about myself. And that allows me to help everybody around me. And if I don't do those things, then I could compromise my health. If I eat fast food every single day, I'm using drugs or drinking alcohol, I'm doing these things all the time, you're, you're creating toxicity. And if you're not being your best version, you can't let other people do that around you. And that's, that's the mission. You are the greatest purpose is to make yourself the best. And then you tie that to how that affects and impacts the world around you. Hmm. Love it. Love it. And I love those three questions as far as being able to ask yourself. And I know that there are people that are hurting out there and I know there's a time to heal and there's a time to be able to, to work through some of those things. And I, I know that you include all of that, but ask yourself those three questions. That, that was probably the biggest takeaway as far as being able to say when I'm in that adversity or when I'm in those challenging times, that trauma, ask yourself those three questions. We're going to put that in the notes just so if you missed them, rewind it, go back, but we're going to have it in the notes as well. So that way you've got those three questions going and, and we're winding down. I, I'm sure there's a lot more that we could talk about, but I'm going to give you the opportunity, Keegan, either what is the one thing that you want somebody to walk away with? If they've been listening, what is that one thing that would give them the ability or, or that you said, look, this is the one thing I've learned in my life. What is that mic drop moment for you? It's difficult to consolidate this into one statement. I would say that you are the greatest project. Good, bad, evil, greatness. This message should remain with everybody. This too shall pass. In the greatest moments of your life and the worst moments of your life. And you can find serenity in that message. This too shall pass. Because you don't want to get complacent when everything's great or you'll lose it. And you don't want to lose hope when everything's bad or you'll give up. So you have to face these things head on and realize that anything that has occurred in your life has not happened to you. It has happened for you. Mm. And I'll be real with you, Tim. I don't even know if that's the truth. However, I truly know that by taking that perspective, I'm able to live a better life. 
And when I make myself better through that perspective, I give that to everybody else. So if that's the outcome, why would you not lean into that more? Don't yeah. give up. Don't give up. <laughs> oh, that's I, And I love the perspective. I've heard that statement so many times, this too shall pass. And people say it flippantly, but you explained it eloquently in the way of, you know, don't get complacent, but don't give up. Don't get complacent, but don't give up. And I love that that yin and yang kind of feeling of those two sides of this too shall pass. It's perfect. All right. How can people get in touch with you? How can they make contact with you? I know we've got your email here, Coach Keeg at Gmail. Uh, but is there any other way that you like to be in contact with people or get in, in touch with them? Yeah, I, I would love to connect with people on LinkedIn, Keegan Schaefer. We've got our webpage, which is www ckc.coach we have a couple other pages coming out we've got the tribal stoics men's group which is a phenomenal environment for men to have healthy masculine conversations and support each other in this journey so the bottom line is you know i love this work this is mission driven for me i will do this until the day that i perish i <laughs> i will do whatever it takes to help somebody if i can right so I love talking with people about this stuff. You know, this this is what I live for, man. I love it. So, yeah, I would love anybody to reach out via email, LinkedIn, the the webpage. We have a Facebook page, all that fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, I love it. And I'm sure it's probably best to be able to follow you because you've got a lot of things going. It's probably best to connect with you on one of those socials mm -hmm. because it gives you the opportunity to see some of the new stuff that you're coming out with, some of the development stuff. So make sure you go follow Keegan on the social pages because that's, I'm sure, where you're going to see a lot of the new things that are happening. Keegan, I can't thank you enough, man. I greatly, greatly appreciate this. The time, I believe, has really, truly been well spent. I believe we're going to have impact. So thank you so much for, for sharing some of these things. Tim, thank you so much for this opportunity. I appreciate you. And I'll, I'll, I'll stop with this. Based on our conversation today, I'm sharing a book in the next couple of weeks that, that, that I wrote that touches on all this stuff, Growing Through Adversity. And it will allow people to find opportunities in their adversity. Oh, man, we're going to have to get the links and all of that and push that into uh, some of the notes as well. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that off the air, but make sure you're looking at that. And if you don't see it in the notes, come back because it may be there later. All right. So thanks for those that are listening. And again, I say this every week, but I mean this from the bottom of my heart. And I know the people that the guests that we have on here and the people that are talking about their narrative and their story feel exactly the same way. We want to hear from you. We want to hear if something resonated with you, if something touched you, if something changed within you reach out to us. And whether you send Keegan a mail, I don't care. I, I Send it directly to him and that's fine by me, but reach out to us. If you want to reach out to me, reach out to me, but we want to hear your stories. We want to hear about the impact because that that's what truly fulfills us as we tell our stories and as we share. If you are listening to this on the podcast, you might want to actually take a look at the uh, YouTube version because you're going to see about the other 80% of the emotions and the conversation in the language. You might want to take a look at that, but keep following us. We, we love hearing from you guys. And until the next story comes out, keep writing and crafting your narrative because that's what it's all about. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live. Enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative 
It will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.